Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Again, welcome. So glad you're here. If it's your first time with us this morning, my name is Chris Kipp. And um, in 2014, the Lord uh, called me to church planting. And so for the last two months now, we've been gathering like this. About a year ago, we started meeting in our homes, like I said earlier. And we're just genuinely excited about what God is doing here. And uh, so, so glad to see your faces today. Um, this morning, we are continuing in a series that we started last week called We Are the Church. And we thought as we start this church, as we plant, we want to go back to what, what do the scriptures teach us about being in the church? Like we all come from different backgrounds and different ideas about church, different traditions. And so we have to find some unifying things in the word of God to bring us together. And so uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I'm excited about what the Lord um, is going to speak to us this morning. Um, I want to start this morning a little bit differently than I have in the past. I want to start with a story. Uh, the names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> but it's a true story. Uh, Philip's dad was a pastor. He was the pastor of a church in a rural town, a suburban kind of town, just like where we are today. He was a godly man. I mean, he's one of those people that radiates like goodness in, in Jesus, right? You meet him and you just know this is a godly man. He loved his church, loved his family. He loved um, the Bible and he loved teaching and preaching the Bible. He was an amazing guy. And yet, uh, with his Southern Baptist upbringing and his Southern Baptist uh, background, as he was reading the scriptures and, and kind of growing in his understanding of the word, he began to see over and over how the Bible talked about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit inside the heart of a believer. And so he began to preach and teach in his Southern Baptist church about the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, certain traditions, it's like Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And we don't talk about the Holy Spirit because that could be like some weird spooky stuff that we've seen on YouTube. And we, we don't want that kind of thing, right? And so there's um, a little bit, there was a little bit of fear in the church whenever he began to talk about the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't too long before prominent members of the church had basically got him fired from that, from that role as a pastor. And he had to leave that church. And I knew him after that season. He had come to our church in a different town and he was healing because he had gone what I think a lot, he'd gone through what a lot of people go through and that is church hurts. I mean, that's the elephant in the room. When we start talking about we are the church and we start talking about being called together as a community, when we look at what we looked at last week in 1 Peter 2, and he says that he, he's building us together into a spiritual house and Jesus is the cornerstone. And we see uh, this coming together kind of thing. And, and I think for many of us, it brings up a little bit of like a, oh, wait a second. 
whoa. Because we've all experienced some hurts. In fact, we could probably all tell some stories a lot like the one I just shared about either we had or someone we know had a painful experience with the church. And if you've never had a hurt with a church before, you've had hurt, right? We all just have things from life that hurt and we all carry what's called baggage, right? Have you ever used that term before, baggage? When I say baggage, it's obviously, we're not, not, not talking about the bags under our eyes, right? Or, or, or literal baggage, but it's like the emotional stuff that we all carry because we all have a story. We all have a past. And in our past, we are, we are people who have been hurt by other people, right? We have pain. We have wounds that we carry. We have betrayals and we have losses and we have disappointments. We have baggage. And it's almost like a raw nerve. And when you begin to get together with other people, and especially in the church, when we begin to come together like this, and then somebody just happens to hit one of those nerves, and it creates this reaction inside of us. Like a, we either want to run away or we want to, you know, we want to like retaliate or, or we want to become passive aggressive or whatever. We have ways that we try to fight back whenever somebody hits the wound of a past hurt. And all of that creates what we call dysfunction. You ever used that word before, dysfunction, right? Uh, some families say we put the fun in dysfunction. It's like, a, you know, it's, it's humorous because we can all admit, even the best of our families, some of you are with your families right now and you're laughing, right? We can all admit that we are imperfect people. Amen? Like all of us. We, we are imperfect people that, that grew up in imperfect families that were um, parented by imperfect parents. And guess what? Our parents were imperfect people that grew up in imperfect families that, that had imperfect parents. And the, the line of generational baggage continues. We all have hurts. And we have to acknowledge what do we do with all the stuff that we carry. Well, here's the good news. I really think that the Bible has something to say to that today. The, the scriptures are gonna speak some real answers to I think what is a very real problem that we feel today. It's in Ephesians 3. That's where we're gonna be looking at today. So if you wanna start turning to Ephesians 3, if you have a copy of the scriptures, we're also gonna have it on the screens for you. If you uh, wanna read along in the translation that I'm reading, it's gonna be up there for you as well. But this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Paul's been imprisoned in Rome. We think that this was about 62 AD, right? This is kind of towards the end of his ministry. And he's writing a letter to Ephesus, but it's, it's a circular letter. And what that means is that's going to be passed along to all these churches that have been started. And many scholars think that this book of Ephesians is actually like a constitutional document about the church. And what we're going to see Paul do is he expounds on like, the gospel and theology and doctrine and practice. And then he goes into prayers. And then he expounds some more. And then he goes into a prayer. So he's kind of back and forth. We're going to read a prayer. And then we're going to hear him expound about the church. Starting in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, for this reason I... Paul speaking, kneel before the Father 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height, and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He ends the prayer, and now he begins to expound on the church. Chapter 4, 1, Therefore, I urge you, or I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in Oh, this is the word of the Lord. So here we have Paul expounding to these Ephesians. He's going from prayer to expounding on the church. And when we get to chapter 4, verse 1, there's that word, therefore. Now, if you are studying the Bible, just, just a, 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 a helpful hint, I guess, is anytime you see therefore, you should ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And so this therefore is therefore a reason. What he's doing is he's pointing back to everything that he's been talking about before. We don't have time to read the whole book of Ephesians together, but he expounds on the gospel. This book is rich in this, this understanding of what does the gospel mean. Now, I think that word gospel is a word that in our culture has kind of gotten a little bit like, like fuzzy. Like, what does that mean, right? We, we think of gospel music, so that's a genre of music. Or there's a gospel brunch, right, which sounds awesome. We're going to go to brunch, and there's going to be a gospel band playing, and we'll have, uh, you know, uh, drinks or whatever. Like, that's like common stuff in our culture. But what does the gospel really mean? Well, that word gospel actually means the good news of a, an event that literally has implications for everybody. For example, August 15th, 1945, the LA Times ran a story, front page, big all caps letter says, peace, exclamation point. And then the subheading, it says, the Japs accept allies' terms unreservedly. This was the gospel 
of the end of World War II. It was an event that changed everything. If you were alive in America at that time, you would know that all the people were giving towards World War II, that the, the goods and things that they, they, they used to be able to get, they couldn't get any longer because all those were being sent off to our troops. They were sending their sons off to war and many people had lost family members. It was a war that absolutely marked a whole generation of people. And when that news came, like, peace, it's over. That was like gospel, like good news of an event that changed everything. And see, that's what, when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, what we're talking about is this event that took place in history where this, this man named Jesus came, and as Paul said, he, he, um, that he died on a cross for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, and then he appeared to his closest followers, and then 500 others, and then James, and then Paul says, even to me, he appeared to me. See, this is the event that changes everything. Let me just read you some of the, the words that Paul says about the gospel in Ephesians. These are just some phrases that I pulled out from the entire book. If you were to read the whole thing up to this point, he says, God has blessed us. He's chosen us. He's loved us. That he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. Again, that family language. He lavished us with grace to the praise of his glorious grace. He says we've been, we've been redeemed and forgiven. He's made his will known to us. We've received an inheritance sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He's made us alive when we were dead in our sins. He saved us by grace through faith. This is not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not from works so that none of us can boast. He said he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens. In Christ, he's been kind to us. He's prepared good works for us to do. He's brought us near. He's given us a new citizenship with the saints. He's just been expounding gospel, gospel, gospel. See, here's the thing about the gospel is it comes in two movements. The first movement of the gospel is this. I am more sinful and broken than I ever dared to admit. That's the first movement of the gospel. It begins to shine some light on us and we see, oh, I messed up. Like I have package, I have issues, I have sin in me and I'm just constantly feeling the tug of that sin and it shows that I'm more messed up than I ever dared to admit. But then the second movement of the gospel is this. I am more deeply loved and cherished than I ever dared to believe. Both of those things happen in the gospel. It's really, really good news for us. If we were to rewrite the heading, it would say risen, exclamation point, all caps. It says hope for all in Jesus. This gospel that Paul's been expounding, right, brings us to the therefore. And I just want to remind you of the words that we see in this, in this 
prayer that Paul gives in 3, starting in 16. He says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So this idea that I pray for you that the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus would be so alive in you, so at work inside of you that you would be strengthened. And here's why I want you to be strengthened, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. I'm, I'm praying for you that the Spirit of God would show you how big the love of God is. I, uh, I have friends that have gone to the Grand Canyon. Have, have you all been to the Grand Canyon before? A few of you? Yeah, yeah, I've been to the Grand Canyon. So I have some friends that, you know, you, you see the pictures, right? You hear about the Grand Canyon, and they said, but when you walk up to the Grand Canyon, it's like you, you kind of lose your breath because it's just so vast that you feel like, I'm going to die, like I'm standing too close to this thing, right? It's, it's scary. If you're afraid of heights like me, I, like, I, don't, I don't think I even want to go there. Like it just sounds overwhelming. And that's what Paul's praying for them. Look, I'm praying that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ would be like that, like you would see the, the bigness of the love of God, like the Grand Canyon of love, and that you would be rooted and grounded in it. The title of my sermon this morning is this, An Increasingly Functional Family. An Increasingly Functional Family. That's what the church is. It's an increasingly functional family. And here's how we become increasingly functional. The first one is this, by receiving God's love. That's what he's praying for them, right? I want you to be rooted and grounded in this love that's like the Grand Canyon. I just, you can't even wrap your mind around it. It's beyond knowing, but I hope you know it. That word knowing, when he says, I hope you know this love that's beyond knowledge, that word knowing is like an, like an intimate heart knowing. It's like a husband and a wife that know one another. And then the word knowledge is a word that can also be translated like science. It's the, the rational part of our minds. It's the thinking part of us that sees and hears about love. And we're like, yeah, sure, whatever. But then when your heart experiences the love that's beyond the rational mind's comprehension, that's what he's praying for us, that we would receive the love of God. Now, that sounds so simple, right? Simplistic. Oh, we're going we're gonna to become a better church by receiving God's love. Sure, Chris, that's, that's really simple. But I want us to kind of think about this a little bit deeper. There was an early church father. His name was Tertullian. He lived about 100 years after this book was written. And he said that just as um, Christ was crucified between two thieves, that the gospel forever hangs between two errors. So this good news that Paul's been expounding, that that message forever sits between two errors. And he said the first error is this, it's legalism. 
It's this idea of moralism. It's like if I play by the rules, if I do everything right, if my good works outweigh my bad works, then I'll be saved. On the other end of that spectrum was this idea of license or what he calls an antinomianism, which is like an irreligion, like to be a relativist, to say, oh, it doesn't really matter, right? If I'm saved by grace, who cares? I can live however I want to live. Like that would be the other end of the spectrum, that forever the gospel hangs between religiousness and irreligiousness, legalism, in license. Now, let me just demonstrate how this applies to, to love and relationships. If you're on the moralist side, if you're the rule follower, right, you're, you're bent that way, then when it comes to community and love and relationships, you begin to view love, it's often like a blame game. Like, I did the right thing, right? I took the trash out for you, and you didn't even acknowledge me. Your fault, right? We do that so often in our relationships. We blame one another because we're really focused on doing the right things. We, we have a sense of goodness that we wanna maintain and so we have to point the finger at someone else. Right? We blame them for our problems. Or on the other hand, we can get love from others in a way that kind of feels like we're earning our salvation. So we'll work really hard and we'll serve a whole lot and we'll do things just so someone will affirm us and tell us how wonderful we are because we really want their love. You see, when we're a legalist or a moralist, we, we view it in a sense of guilt, in fear, in earning the problem is that this blame game and this earning often creates a sense of rejection. So if you are on that side, when you come into a community, when you come into a church or, or a relationship, you will often feel like you're the one rejected. I, I know many people, they go into a church and they're like, it's a bunch of clicks. I can already tell. They all have their little friends and, and all this kind of stuff. And what you're hearing is someone saying, I kind of feel like I'm rejected, like I'm on the outside. Now on the other end of the spectrum, when it comes to the one who's the licensed, the, the relativist, they, they kind of take it a different direction, right? Because it's all grace and there's no morality, right? All that stuff is a social construct that we were just handed down from our parents' generation and so none of that stuff really matters, right? And so for the relativists, right, they will, they will negotiate down their relationships to a partnership that's mutually beneficial. It's like, hey, I'll do a few things to make you happy if you'll do a few things to make me happy. And we both get what we want. So it's a selfish way of, of using someone or being selfishly used by someone. The problem is that this creates in us this idea that we are in somehow entitled, right? Like it doesn't matter. I just need to get some things from you and you just get some things from me. And see, here's the thing. When we begin to really sit into the love of God, like the gospel of Jesus, we see it in an entirely different way. The gospel is this, Jesus emptied himself out 
for you. Like when you did not deserve a single thing. In fact, when you deserved the very opposite of God's kindness and goodness and grace to you. Right at that moment, at that moment of your lowest place, Jesus left heaven, the, the, the throne of heaven, and he emptied himself out and did not claim any one of his rights, but instead went to a cross so that he could bear all the guilt and shame and regret and all the baggage that we carry. He did that. He emptied himself out. So the gospel teaches us a whole new way. It's like, wait a minute. If Jesus emptied himself out, then look, I can empty myself out for you. I can become selfless. There's a a quote by Tim Keller He said that the gospel then creates a new kind of servant community with people who live out an entirely alternate way of being human. I think of it like this. If you were to come over to my house on Wednesday nights and we're going to have a meal, we have taco night at my house on Wednesday nights for our house church, and you haven't eaten all day, Sometimes this is me, like I'm supposed to be hosting people, but I'm eyeing the tacos and I'm like, I'm really hungry. Like I'm just starving. And, and like I pray for the food and I'm like waiting and we try to let the ladies go first, but they're all waiting for us because they don't want to be the ones to go first. You know that awkward thing where nobody wants to go first because they think it's rude, right? And so I'm like, man, I'm starving. And so finally I'm just like, I'm going to go first. And I go get the food first and I'm just shoving this food into my face because I'm starving and I haven't eaten all day. Well, see, when we come into a community, we come into church, we come into a relationship, and we're starving for love, right? We're like that person who just who, who comes in. We're like, please love me. Please, like, help me. I am starving here. And we begin to manipulate people or control people or we, or we try to squeeze it out of our closest relationships. We're starved for love. And the gospel says this, well, you're, you're more messed up than you want to admit, but at the same moment, you're more loved than you could ever, ever imagine. That you have an endless supply of love. You don't ever come in starving. You come in actually with something to give. See, the second point is that we become an increasingly functional family by expressing love. If we look at chapter 4, he starts in verse 1, and he gets to the therefore, right? In light of everything I said, therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received, right? There's a way to live, like in light of grace, In light of what Jesus did, there's a new way to live, and it's a way that's worthy of that calling. And here's what it's marked by, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond peace. Now, I think with our baggage and when we come to church, we would love to have a version of church that didn't require us really messing around with people, right? Am I right? Like we're like, hey, slamming service down the street, sweet, I'm going to go to that. It sounds awesome. And I'm going to slip in 
and I'm going to enjoy the service, and I'm going to slip out so that I don't have to mess with people. Because every time I do that, I get hurt or I feel rejected or I see them hanging out on Facebook and I'm like, why wasn't I invited, right? We have these feelings and we don't like people because of our baggage. And yet when Paul talks about the church, he starts using words that you can't like live out alone. Have you ever tried being humble by yourself? Like it's easy to be humble when it's just you. You're like, man, I'm so humble. Thank you, Lord. I just bow before you. And yet the person cuts you off and you're like, no, 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 right? If you're like me when I drive down the road and I, and, I'm, and I get that peripheral vision, I'm like, this car is speeding up and I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to cut me off right now. And so I just ease my truck forward like, no, I'm sorry. I, you cannot have this space. Right? This is my space. And my pride wells up, right? It's really easy to be humble when it's just me. But when other people start coming in the picture, it's like, wait a minute. Don't y'all know, like, I'm the best and you need to, like, get behind me? Like, see, there's this pridefulness, humility. We cannot live alone. If you want to be gentle, it's easy to be gentle when you're by yourself. Right? Nobody mess with you. I can be gentle all day long. But as soon as people come into your space and you're like, oh, my gosh, did you just leave that on the counter? <laughs> right? The gentleness goes a way we have to be in community to live gentleness. The same thing with patience, right? Come on. If you have children, anyone have children here? And your patience is tested 24-7. It's so easy to be patient alone. But it's really hard when you start getting around other people. Bearing with one another in love. Oh, here he goes again. He's talking about Trump again. I hate it when he talks about Trump. Or, you know, people, we all have our hobby horses and we have stuff that we say. And it's like you get around community and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, if he says that one more time, I'm going to like, I'm going to strangle him, right? No, 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 no. Bear with one another in love. Like leave some space for people to kind of do their thing. We have to bear with one another in love. And then he says, make every effort, like every, like every effort, every last effort to keep the unity through the bond of peace. See, Paul's using words that require us to be with one another. And if you're trying to create a version of church where you don't have to be with people, you're never, ever going to experience the church, you're always going to live less than what God has intended for you. And so we become increasingly functional by receiving this love, by being so rooted and grounded in this love of God that just amazes, it astounds us. It's like the Grand Canyon of love, right? And then we become increasingly functional as we begin to express that love and we come to the meal not starving. And we actually have something to give. This is how the gospel makes us into a functional community. My uh, oldest son, William, is about to finish fifth grade here at at Jane Long. And so we love our school and we're bummed that one of our kids will not be here. He's going off to middle school. We did a middle school open house and, uh, you know, we have, we're freaking out because oh, our son's going to middle school. It's like big, bad middle school and it's scary and all that kind of stuff. And um, we go to this open house and there is um, 
a presentation and there's like this little symphony of, of middle school students that play for us. And during this presentation, the music teacher's like, hey, I just want to tell you about our program. And, and by the way, we're going to play a song for you. But we just learned this like two weeks ago. Like I just gave them the music two weeks ago. And so here we go. And the, they begin to play. It is kind of like what you expect. Right? Middle school, they're just learning instruments. And it's like they're a little bit out of tune. There's like certain loud notes and, and a squeak over here. The, the drum's not hitting on the right moment. It's like just a little bit out of tune. It's a little out of time, right? And at the end, we're all like, way to go. Like you guys are doing so great, right? Like we're just trying to encourage them. But if we're honest, we're like, it wasn't amazing, okay? I think community is a lot like that. Like God's putting this ensemble together, but we're a little bit out of tune sometimes. We're a little bit out of, of time, right? We're trying to follow the director, but it's like, ah, you know, I don't know the notes. And it's like there's a squeak every now and then. And that's what it feels like in the church. And I think there, there's, there has to be someone to stand up and say, Whoa, 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 whoa. I just gave him the music two weeks ago. See, when you come into the church, we have to have this grace in us that can just sort of lower the bar a little bit. Because here's the deal. We're all dealing with baggage. We're all we're like that tree that's rooted and grounded and, and the sap is gonna make its way to that baggage. It's gonna happen, right? We're in the process. We're still learning. I've been a, Christ, a Christian for 25 years and I'm still learning what it means that, the, that Jesus died for me on a cross and rose again so that I could have new life. Like I'm still learning how that affects my baggage. And so when you come into community with me, there has to be Grace. I've heard that a pastor say that if you have an engine, right, that has no oil in it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to seize up, right? It's going to overheat. It's going to fail. But grace is like the oil in the machinery of the church. It's what makes it work. It keeps us from blowing up on the side of the road. We have to have grace. And lastly, um, thinking of a, an, a, an ensemble or a symphony. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a, a, maybe a recital or a symphony like that. And, and if you've noticed when they tune, it's not like one person plays a note over here and then the next person plays the note and then they play the note for the next person and the next person plays the note and they don't do that all the way down. If they did that, you can imagine what that would sound like, right? It's like the game of telephone. Like by the time it gets from one end to the, to the other end, it's not going to sound good. It's gonna sound terrible. It's gonna be all out of tune. If you've ever been, what they do is that one person stands in front of all of them and plays the note and then they all tune to that note. There's a master pitch that everyone tunes themselves to. You see, the master pitch for us is the gospel of Jesus. It's the, it's the heart of the Father. 
It's bringing this thing that Jesus did, this event, this life-changing thing into the very realities of the pain and the brokenness and the sorrow and the heartbreak and the betrayal. It's letting it make its way into all of those places. And then we become tuned. And when we come into the church, we can't tune to one another. We have to tune ourselves to Jesus through his gospel. So this morning, I want to call you to be the church. I want to call you to actually begin to to live like the church together. But when we do that, we we have to lower the bar a little bit. We've got to have grace. And the person next to you will never replace your connection to the Father. You have to be tuned to the love of God rooted, established, deeply nourished by the love of the Father. I want to pray for us this morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.